0: Hello, and welcome to the Agile Embedded Podcast. I'm Jeff Gable. And I'm Luca Injani. And today, we're going to be going back to uh, core principles. We're going to be taking a look at the original Agile Manifesto, reviewing the core principles from that Agile Manifesto and seeing how they imply to Embedded and, and whether there are any exceptions or any tweaks we want to make, uh, that kind of thing. This is going to be a good episode.
1: Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I guess we should point out that it was inspired by feedback from a Reddit post that I wrote, you know, uh, at the time of the recording about uh, a week ago, I guess, just trying to get a feel for what people actually wanted to hear on this podcast, what kind of topics they would be interested in. And we got awesome feedback. And I think we've got episodes for at least a year or something in terms of ideas.
0: I, I completely agree. No, that was that was a great conversation on Reddit and uh, and a lot of really valuable points and, and some back and forth and, and really good suggestions. So really appreciate uh, any of you out there who participated in that. Yes, indeed. All righty. So we're looking at the Agile Manifesto, the original one, and it, it kind of starts off with these four principles, uh, essentially that the Agile Manifesto values One thing more than another, places more value on one thing over another. Uh, And those four things are we value individuals and interactions over processes and tools. We value working software over comprehensive documentation. We value customer collaboration over contract negotiation. And we value responding to change over following a plan. And then there's a lot, they kind of break it down and there's more detail and, and more discussion, more principles kind of at a lower level. Uh, But we wanted to at least take this episode and uh, I think we're going to divide this into two episodes. And this first one, will tackle those first two individuals and interactions over processes and tools, and then working software over over comprehensive documentation. Uh, So start us off, Luca. Yeah. So
1: individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Does anyone disagree with that? Jeff, do you disagree with it? Well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you know, again, kind of thinking about to to when the manifesto was written and what they were reacting against, I, I think it was a reaction against companies that valued processes and tools more than individuals or interactions, or at least that ha- that is how those companies had grown, like organically, you know, kind of creating this more heavyweight process over time that really stamped out individual interaction. You know, I absolutely agree with them and it makes perfect sense to me that, you know, in the end, engineering is not possible unless engineers talk to each other and work through issues collaboratively. Um, And if your processes are in the way of that, then your processes are doing a disservice and they need to be changed and they are fundamentally hurting your quality rather than helping it.
1: Yeah but on the other hand we've all heard this complaint about agile that you know it's just a bunch of people talking there's like a million meetings nobody has time to get stuff done it it has almost become a stereotype i think about agile development so what's what's your response to that
0: i agree with that it's it's funny like so <laughs> this is this is definitely a topic for a future episode is just kind of stepping back and and maybe looking at all of the terrible forms yeah. that Agile has taken, and and some of the you know common pitfalls there. But I think if you're if you're having meetings for the sake of meetings that don't actually provide any value, then you've fallen exactly into this particular problem that this particular principle is trying to exactly. address. you are trapped in a process yeah, a, a process it, that, that is not right. You've you stepped up a process where you have a stand up meeting every day, and everyone's like, "Oh, stand up meeting. This is so useless." Then why are you doing it if it's not actually promoting useful interaction Um, maybe maybe we should say individuals and valuable interactions (laughs) over processes and tools yeah
1: maybe but but i i i I imagine that interactions imply usefulness as opposed to just like talking at one another or or You know the famous the famous status rounds where you know everybody kind of shows up and and says something and nobody really pays attention unless it's their turn to talk um so that isn't it funny that's exactly it if you have a bunch of useless meetings then you've exactly fallen into that trap of process over interaction in parentheses valuable interaction
0: and, and, uh, this is, this is a, st- a statement that is made in, uh, a, a document that was written for how to apply agile to the medical device industry where, you know, there's, there's long been a misconception that, uh, uh agile is incompatible with safety, critical industries. That's one of the things with this podcast that we're trying to, uh, make clear is not the case. Um, but a particular uh, Document that was released by um, you know kind of a standards organization on how to apply agile medical devices said it's not that there's no value in the things on the right that's that's the processes and tools comprehensive documentation it's just that that there is more value in the things on the left um, so processes and tools still have value as long as they support individuals and interactions um, and so it's it's a tough job to manage your process to evolve your process to choose your tools, configure them, use them and then change over time how you're using them in order to make sure they are actually serving your goal. that's that's a difficult job, but that's the job of a of essentially of a manager of a team that is using these kind of processes is to manage um, how those processes actually let the team enable the team to do their work well.
1: Yes indeed and and in fact, be very aware that you will need processes and tools to support those individuals and interactions. There is probably no easier way to get me annoyed than to claim that agile can can work with zero processes. Uh, that's just not the case, is it? You, you need agreements. That's all a process is, isn't it? It's an agreement on how to right. on how to deal with a given situation.
0: Right, so so let me take an easy example. Uh, so, um, Joel Spolsky, uh, you know, has a very well known blog in the software engineering industry. It's you know it's been around for twenty years or something. Uh, and he he advocated for uh, adding sensible processes to software development to tame the chaos. Uh, you know, and he his company wrote a bug tracker, and so he wrote several blog posts about how to use a bug tracker. And and initially he said, you know, if you're if you are not using a bug tra- a bug tracker, you will ship very low quality code, period. It doesn't matter how much you interact as individuals. It doesn't matter the great conversations you have. You will forget. If it's not written down, it will not actually make it into the code. And once you have more than a few wonderful, valuable human interactions, you forget the one that you had two hours ago. Um, and so that's an example of if you don't use that tool and have a process for using that tool consistently, you can have all the beautiful engineering discussions in the world and it won't actually make any difference it won't improve your product
1: yes exactly so tools and processes are, are very very much required in order to, to you know to enable you to have the valuable interactions and skip the non-valuable ones and by the way what, what i find quite interesting is that i i listened to an interview with some of the original. Signatories—is that how you pronounce the word?
0: Sign- I, I think signatories, but
1: signatories—I I don't know. I've I've only ever seen uh-huh. it written, but I've never actually heard it pronounced. <laughs> um, okay, so with one of the original signatories of the Agile Manifesto, and he he was asked, okay, what's your biggest disappointment in terms of this Agile quote-unquote revolution? And he said, you know, when we created this document, we imagined that a big discussion would be breaking out all across the globe in. All engineering teams about how to apply this manifesto to their situation and how to find the situation and uh, the solutions that work for them. And th- what did we get instead? Scrum.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. I, you know, I think the a lot of the bad rap that agile has nowadays is because of these very overprescribed frameworks that you have to work within that have really kind of lost sight of of the underlying reason behind them. Um, and if you, it's just cargo cult processing, if you're, if you're following scrum, but not actually doing continuous improvement, <laughs> you know?
1: Yes, exactly. So, um, let me make very clear that I don't, I'm not opposed to scrum. It's, it's, you know, it's a good enough framework. There's nothing wrong with it. The difficult thing about it is just that the scrum guide, I believe is 12 pages long, but the difficult part about the scrum guide is the 500 pages worth of stuff written mm-hmm. between the lines.
0: I haven't pu- I haven't heard it put it in that way. Interesting. I mean, I guess in the, in the end it's uh, there's no hard and fast rules. You have to you know <laughs> apply your human intelligence to how ha- like not only to the engineering problem at hand, to the 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 market problem you're trying to solve and the product you're trying to create, but to how your organization is going about doing its work. And if you see a problem, fix it. Like if you if you are having lots of meetings and they're not providing any value and they're therefore they are wasting time and all your engineers are complaining about them rightly so, change it. It doesn't matter if there's a paper, uh, you know, a, a bullet point in a scrum framework that you're following that says thou shalt have meetings. Um, you know, those things aren't law. What what the most important thing is to do is to you know, improve your processes, improve how you're working over time um, and do what makes sense.
1: Yes, exactly. I like to joke in my trainings that, uh, you know, if you don't do as the Scrum Guide says the Scrum police won't come. Uh, (laughs) And it's sort of half joking because there is such a thing as the Scrum police. I think there is, there's a bunch of people who take particularly Scrum for some reason, very, very seriously. And if you deviate, then, you know, then you're a bad person. And it has led to this interesting situation where, you know, for example, nowhere in the in the Agile Manifesto does it say that you should have sprints. It's somehow become this given that you should have sprints, that you should work in time boxed iterations. But, you know, that's just one way of, of implementing the ideas that the, the Agile Manifesto really talks about. And so a lot of teams feel that you know, sprints are really not for them for whatever reason, because maybe you know, maybe they're they're dealing with a lot of unplanned work, and sprints, you know, don't work if you can't plan ahead reliably. And they're always really nervous about you know getting getting my permission um, to drop sprints and go to you know to a more flow based models. You know, use Kanban or whatever. And they should, I, I feel that they should just listen to what they feel. It's, it's kind of like parenting, you know, at the end of the day, you can, you can read a whole library's worth of parenting books and they will all tell you how to treat your kid or whatever. But at the end of the day, you know yourself, you know your family, you know your child. If you listen to your instincts, I think you'll do fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the same goes for Agile.
0: As far as the parenting thing, I'm still waiting for my you know, authoritative reference text to arrive in the mail that tells me what to do. But I suppose I'll just have to start using my gut. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All righty. So, so uh, stepping forward to the next point. So we value working software over comprehensive documentation. And this is a really interesting one, especially for me because Luke and I both have heavy background in safety critical industries. I currently work in medical devices today, which is there is quite a bit of documentation that is required, and so this is the source of another a lot of hand wringing uh, in in safety critical industries over whether agile even makes sense and and can be applied. Um, I will I will say that uh, again, kind of looking back to when the agile manifesto was written and what the authors of the manifesto were reacting to at the time. Uh, I imagine there were you know, you can think of large government contracts to, you know, or, or even corporate contracts to, you, you go out, you hire some software vendor to, to rebuild your entire financial backbone of your company. Um, and it's all specified down to the nth degree upfront, you know, and then they work on it, they go in a cave and they work on it for two years and they come out and and it's not actually useful because you weren't getting any feedback. Uh, but there's that huge process up front where you you have to spend all this time getting the documentation perfect before code is actually written. Um, and the documentation is so detailed as to not be valuable. you know it's it's instantly out of date as soon as code is written. So I think that's the kind of the level of documentation that the authors were reacting against.
1: Yes, and uh, also realized where this supposed need for documentation came from. Because it, it itself was an outgrowth of what is called the software crisis of the 1970s, 1980s, where, you know, they they were building more and more elaborate systems with a software component. You, you know, it could be medical, it could be financial, it could be military, whatever. And they had tremendous problems to stay within budget, to stay within the t- a lot of time, to... Have the right quality and so on, and and this you know this was such a big deal. This was such a problem that they called this the software crisis. It, that that was a, a term, and they decided to react to this crisis by saying, "We need to plan better. Mm. We need to create more documentation, more plans, more Gantt charts, whatever, in order to stay in control of this." Growing complexity, growing software complexity. And it just, it it didn't improve things, did it? Bad plan. Exactly. So, I, you know, the heart was in the right place. You know, they, they were reacting to a real problem, but I think they were applying exactly the wrong method. They were trying to plan something which is inherently difficult to plan because there's just so much uncertainty.
0: Mm-hmm
1: and rather unsurprisingly they were failing
0: so you know when we were talking before we hit record we you had a point that this is the manifesto showing its age um and you were kind of differentiating between working software and a useful product so maybe talk about that a little bit
1: exactly so th- this is this is one thing that rubs me the wrong way about the manifesto as at least how it's worded and also in my training several participants have picked up on that and said look I, I don't care about software. I care about a product. You know, at the end of the day, I want a a device. Let's call it a medical device that, you know, does what it's supposed to, doesn't kill its user and, uh, and whatnot. And yes, maybe there is software in there, but I don't actually care about the software working or not. I care about the device itself working. So if I were to rewrite the manifesto today, I would probably not say working software. I would say, a working or even a useful product. And if you if you look at it this way, then a bit of the issue about documentation goes away, by the way, because just like what you just said about medical devices, in many cases, uh, documentation is one aspect of the complete product. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if for some reason you are required to supply some documentation then for all intents and purposes that's part of the product isn't it right and in fact it goes even a bit further uh, to the point that if you don't give the users the tools they need to understand and use your product i.e. documentation then you have created a defective product there is no functional difference between a defective product And a product that is so badly documented that you can't use it, that you can't understand it.
0: Right. And so I – okay, so there's a couple of different points I want to tease out there. So first in terms of the documentation being – part of the requirement uh, like to even sell it that's that's one thing I want to discuss first and I completely agree with you again I work in medical devices so if you don't <laughs> produce the right documentation to go into your submission for FDA here in the states or um, MDR in the European Union or or you know various other regulatory agencies around the world in whatever market you want to sell your medical device if you don't satisfy those regulatory bodies and prove that your device is safe and effective, you cannot sell it. So you talk about no value. Like you can go through, you can have the most beautiful product in the world. That is you've developed in an agile way and you've gotten lots of feedback and it's gorgeous and it works and you don't have any documentation support it and you fail your regulatory submission and it does not go out into the world and produce any value for real patients. So, so, the The yes, documentation exactly. that describes your process is a it is a necessary component of your end product and is therefore that's part of the things we value on the left. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> More so than the things on the right, and the the comprehensive documentation. I can imagine, you know, if you're a, a startup producing a a SaaS product, you know, some software as a service like your users won't care if you had a detailed design document or not behind the scenes. So that's the kind of comprehensive documentation that it doesn't, it's not user facing and it's not required for you to put it out there in the world. So if you, if it provided value to you in terms of, you know, coordinating work between teams, you know, it enabled you to produce the software faster with higher quality. Great. But if not, it's okay to skip it. But if that's Required as part of a safety critical industry, as part of your submission to sell a product, then guess what? It's part of the product. Um, so I think we're we're definitely. I've, I've now rambled on about this for a, a little bit. We're we're definitely on the same page about that. the The documentation necessary, like if your doc, device is so poorly documented that your users can't use it, I think there's some interesting subtleties there. You know, users are famous for not reading documentation, even surgeons who you know, use medical devices in the field may not really carefully read every aspect. My dad is a plastic
1: surgeon. I am not surprised at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so part of it, you know, for medical devices and any other product, you have to design with your actual users in mind, what their actual behavior is going to be and the, the way your product functions and the user interface and affordances that you give all have to support uh, effective use of that product. Um, and if you I so often people say oh we'll, we'll just put it in the user manual and like no 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 <laughs> a it's not good for the patient and B like you actually will get slapped by a regulatory agency because there's for FDA and medical devices there's something called reasonable misuse if someone picks up your device and it looks like it's going to do X and they start to do X with it and that hurts someone you should have seen that coming and and designed you know made it more safe by design to prevent that
1: exactly. and and maybe it is important to point out that documentation doesn't necessarily mean words on real or metaphorical paper. Documentation is any kind of description in in any format whatsoever that conveys useful information, as far as I'm concerned. Like it could be videos. It could it, it could be a manual, of course, but it could even be, the user interface itself, like if I'm talking about well-documented software that, you know, is user-friendly, then the the best kind of software to my mind is is one that has a user interface that is so clear and so easy to understand that it's all the documentation that's really required in order to use the software successfully, to use the product, I should say, successfully.
0: Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't disagree with that final statement. I I don't know... I don't know that I want to fight the fight of of whether one would classify user interface design as documentation, but I but the point the point stands of Yeah, I, I can think of even I don't know if I want to go down that rabbit hole, but the the comprehensive documentation kind of that the Agile Manifesto was fighting against, maybe we can maybe it might be better to limit that to documentation that is not necessarily user facing. Like documentation behind the scenes that's maybe just within engineering team. Uh, the engineering team that I think you've just got to approach it with, with common sense. Like basically if, if documenting out something to the nth detail is not actually useful, then don't do it. Like modify your process that says you require to do it. So like detailed functional specs that maybe go down to describing the function, like this, you are going to have this function. It is going to take this parameters. It is going to return this value.
1: You might want to, Grab a handkerchief or something. Oh boy. To, to dry your tears because I, I have a war story about exactly that sort of thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I used to work on a project, uh functional safety uh, relevant project in, in the automotive industry. And they had like a stereotypical, old fashioned, over documented process. They had all of the awesome documents they you know they had reasonable documents like like high level design documents um they had moderately useful documents such an such as an srs um, software requirement specification but they they drilled down as far as having a function spe- specification so they did exactly what what jeff was just talking about they had there shall be a function and it, it shall be called thus and it shall take the following arguments uh you know really down to that level of detail and then some poor soul had to sit down and you know just type the actual code that will would satisfy this extremely overly granular functional specification. And of course, it was just it was just busy work like it it didn't serve any purpose. It didn't make the product better or safer and, and most certainly not faster to
0: develop. Mm-hmm. And some people might say, OK, you know, if you look through de- various safety s- standards like 62304 for medical devices or 26262 for automotive, whatever, you'll see references to detailed design documents and it is easy to interpret them as to be at exactly the level that Luca just described if i'm ever at a company that requires that i like you know i might say okay fine like if we have to do this to get through your old process whatever but i am not writing it up front i'm generating it from the code <laughs> like that kind of thing. like i'm sorry a function name and the arguments and the return value guess what the code has that and you could put in a few Doxygen comments and throw Doxygen at it, and you can output them a beautiful document that satis- tick- checks their boxes. So there's no purpose at all. So there's no purpose at all. Will never be read. But it also doesn't slow you down. And so you can continue to iterate quickly and refactor your code and do all your unit tests and everything else that you normally would do. And the documentation that's generated from the code. That useless documentation that is just for a box checker is generated from the code, and doesn't slow you down. (laughs) So
1: Yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? This is not even zero value documentation. This is actually negative value documentation. Yes. It is making your product harder to change, slower to change, and as a consequence, more issue-prone, less reliable. Mm -hmm. It's just a terrible idea all around, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it 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 literally is is a quality reducing machine. So don't do it.
1: <laughs> no, don't. And instead do what you should do anyways, which is if you if you're considering writing a particular piece of documentation, ask yourself who needs to read it. And if you can't find anyone,
0: then don't write it. That's a great way to look at it. It's a good litmus test. Who is actually going to read this? Because the whole point of a document is for someone to read. Uh, so I will say there's a, there's a happy medium. If you have these massively detailed specs written prior to writing any code, I would say that is not valuable because you like the no plan will survive first contact with the enemy. And as soon as you start writing code and trying it out and maybe getting feedback from users, please, uh, you'll discover it needs to change massively and then all your detailed specs are out of out of line. Uh, or out of date, obsolete. I will say there's a happy medium where you it is better to do design on paper up front, like think through what your code is going to do. Oh, absolutely. like don't we're we are not advocating for just like just start coding, just start coding. no 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 no. Uh, it is much easier to like so think of a of a user interface, you know a screen flow on some touchscreen on a medical device or whatever else it's so much easier to modify that on paper and to to you know, like sit it down in front of a, a potential user just have a paper mock up and like most people know this but you know this is this is i just want to clarify that we're not advocating no documentation but it just has to be useful um, and a thinking through a design of you know and and if you're if you have a database like writing up the schema and kind of really thinking through okay what are okay what happens if if we want to do this kind of query and what happens if these two data, like, do we have to keep these two tables in sync or, you know, if, or, or how different architectural mo- uh, modules in your code, how they're going to interact safely. And that does tie into one thing that I really want to talk about, which is safety by design. Uh, again, very important for safety critical industries. For a safety critical product, safety has to be designed into it from the front, from the beginning. You can't just make the product work and then just keep debugging and keep testing and over time it becomes safe because there are classes of bugs that are due to your architecture, are very fundamental to the way your software is architected, and you can't just test those out. It has to be, you have to select architecture from the beginning that eliminates that class of bugs. Thoughts on that, Luca?
1: Just complete agreement. In fact, this was how I got into my line of work, which is, you know, advising teams and uh, on, on matters of of collaboration and DevOps and all of these things. I wanted to be a freelance uh, QA person. That was what I decided I was going to do when I started freelancing, until I realized that I couldn't actually do that. I couldn't assure quality without being in control of the entire process from the start. If I come in at the last second as a tester, I'm way too late. There is, just like you said, you don't have any other choice but to take quality and safety and and all of those concerns um, into consideration right from the beginning. Um, also Also in your documentation, if you want to, like, Write the documentation that moves you towards those goals. Answer the questions that need to be answered in order to reach those goals. You know, that's the other thing. If you ask yourself, who should read this? You know, if you ask yourself, should I be writing a particular kind of documentation? First question is, who will read this? The second question will be, what answers are they looking for?
0: Hmm.
1: And usually, if you put yourself in their shoes within, you know, five minutes, you will know whether it's actually a good idea to write a given document or not.
0: I like that. That's a great litmus test. Um, it feels like we've we've covered this pretty well. Any other uh, things you want to talk about before we wrap up?
1: Oh yeah, there's there's one <laughs> one big thing that we haven't Oops. mentioned. Uh, yes, that we haven't mentioned at all. It, it's you know it's one of those big niches, which is that you know there's one type of documentation, and that actually wraps back to the first principle of the agile manifesto there's one important element of documentation which is there is one type of documentation which is code what Um, (sighs) yes (laughs) you know you can be a bit uh, blasé about it and say yeah you know uh, of course code is documentation because it's meant to be read by humans if it were meant to be read by machines it would just be binary machine code right It's not. So it's meant to be understood by humans. Um, But this is kind of beside the point. The point is that processes and tools from that perspective can also be important, especially automation, and especially for non-serifty critical people who might otherwise maybe decide not to do documentation, startups that need to be growing. If you write your code right, it will be its own documentation, especially in terms of, you know, your CI pipeline, uh, your deployment scripts, etc., etc. This is documentation. Treat it as such. It describes all of the things. Like if, if you write the deployment scripts, it, it takes all of the things that are in your head about, oh, yeah, now I need to, I don't know, set my serial port to those parameters, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it writes them down. Now it's documented. And it's documented in the best possible way, which is correct by definition. Because if it, you know, if, if it's wrong, you will know right away because stuff blows up. So documentation doesn't even need to be this sort of annoying side work. Mm-hmm. If you do it right, maybe your code is all the documentation you need. Or maybe, you know, more prosaic documentation can be generated, just like you said, Jeff using doxygen or whatever from the code. Documentation is just totally crucial as long as, and there we're going back to the first principle, as long as it's valuable interaction between engineers. If you're actually actually explaining something to someone, and keep in mind that someone might very well be yourself six months
0: from now. Or two weeks from now. <laughs> yes indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Who was needy to That Oh, it was me. I it was me. Yep. Yep, many many times. I think every every software developer has uh has felt that feeling many times. Indeed. All right. Yeah, I, I love that last point. Um certainly I guess uh you know the the saying is infrastructure as code. Uh you know, not just the code that that f- runs on your product, but all of the code everything you can do to actually get that out into the hands of users. Like you said, build scripts, deployment scripts, um, everything else, you know, you can, you can write those things down as a process, but it's better to have them as a script that runs automatically. Um, And I've, I've loved your, you've made the point in the past. And I, I love that point of, of as you're bootstrapping yourself up to say a full, you know, automated release and deployment process, you can write a script that gives you manual prompts. Hey, do this. And ensure that you've done that and, and you can go do it manually and then come back and say, yep. And then it takes the next step. And then over time you fill in, you know, the most annoying of those points with actual automation. Um, And maybe you never, maybe you never get fully automatic, but it's still, it's in this script that runs rather than on a paper that someone has to look at. Um, The script actually forces you to look at it and guides you through this, guides you through the process step-by-step. I yes, love
1: exactly. that hack. Yeah, it, it's nice. And so the, the term for that is, is null automation. And yeah, so this is sort of stage zero of code as documentation, right? Your, your code is just a bunch of echo statements. And it says, echo, turn on the device. Echo, <laughs> set your uh, set your serial port to the following parameters or something. And then it becomes easy to see that instead of writing echo, set your serial port to those parameters, you could just say, set serial, blah, 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 blah. And then you've already automated one of those steps, and, and just like you say, maybe you never get to hundred percent automation, but you've made it as frictionless as possible to iterate on your automation and to you know to 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 make it versionable in your version control system and all of the good stuff that you should be doing anyway.
0: Right. Well said. All right, I think that's a good place to wrap it up, uh, Luca. Where can people go to find you online?
1: The easiest way to find me is to go to Luca.engineer. I promise that's a real website. So if you want to get in contact, just point your browser to Luca.engineer and you'll find my email there. You'll find my collective ramblings. Uh, I would love to hear from you.
0: Jeff, what about you? You can go to jeffgable.com and uh, sign up for my email list or fill out a contact form. Uh, or also, I'm, I'm reasonably active on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn as well. I'd love to hear from you. Wonderful. All right. I think that's a great place to uh, kind of draw the line in the sand. This has been the Agile Embedded Podcast. I'm Jeff Gable. And I'm Luca Njanini. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much.